power on. Now entering the gaming grid. The latest gaming news, reviews, and retro culture, as only the man of tomorrow can deliver. And here is your host, Brian Sovereign. The man of tomorrow is here and here for, well, I'm not sure what to call these. In many ways, it's a gaming grid special. It's something I suppose that we could include in the main uh, Sovereign Tech, in a main Sovereign Tech episode. But at the same time, it's such a large subject, often enough, that I think it really deserves its own little special. And of course, you get all of these for free now. The last one I did which was effectively a gaming grid special was a sovereign top eight. And this is going to be a top eight as well, but it was a top eight for the 3ds as well as the new Nintendo 3ds. And as we talk, this one is for the Nintendo DS though, which I warned you about in that episode. I said, this one's coming because if you have a 3ds, you might as well take advantage of one of the most impressive gaming libraries, certainly next to the game, the other portable platforms that Nintendo has put out there. And that is the gaming library of the DS. Now, to some degree, there are parts of the DS family, as it were, just like we talked about the entire 3DS family in the last little gaming grid special that we did. I still label them Zomia One Underground, but they're basically gaming grid specials. And of course, the 3DS family was the original 3DS. Then there was the 2DS. And then came, uh, well, I guess the, the 3DS XL became a thing. Then there was the new Nintendo 3DS XL. And then there was the new Nintendo 2DS XL. And that, you know, moniker of new uh, is, or that prefix is important because that ended up becoming a whole, th whole new thing. So the DS and similarly to the 3DS, well, I'm not going to shy away from first party titles on the DS. There is the DS was much like the Game Boy was. I mean, this wasn't so true, I feel, for the 3DS, but so many games, just junk games, anything, any franchise title, whatever, basically got lobbed at the DS, whether it made sense or not. Now, the DS's touchscreen functionality, which was very new at the time. And the original DS came out in 2004. We'll talk about a little bit of a timeline of what uh, other iterations in the DS family did. Admittedly, gave you the unique thing that it really gave. And the 3DS had this too. We didn't really talk about in the previous one. The 3DS has this too, as well as the Nintendo Switch has benefited from this with touchscreen controls or, you know, even using the, the stylus more so, right? With those controls, you could effectively emulate the use of a mouse. And so a lot of games or a lot of game types that you would normally not attribute, um, you know, to a Nintendo, you know, handheld console were suddenly possible done. Some of them done with, you know, differing amounts of efficacy. I, I mean, for one game that will actually, that is an honorable mention, um, a game that I think benefited highly from having a touchscreen was actually, well, there's two of them. 
but the Advance Wars games that ended up getting released for the uh, for the Nintendo DS. There was Dual Strike and you know and another one. Now, ironically, Advance Wars started out on the Game Boy Advance. Okay, that's where the name comes from. And there was no problem. Like I, I next to maybe Golden Sun, I'd almost put Advance the first Advance Wars game as I mean, if somebody said to me, hey, I think that's the greatest, you know, GBA game, you know, Game Boy Advance game ever made. I'm not going to argue it too much. You know, I mean, I think you, you, you've got some uh, you're standing in some tall cotton when you put it next to Golden Sun and some other games. But I admit Advance Wars is fucking awesome. It did not require the touchscreen controls, but it certainly allowed for, you know, grander aspects, more precision to the real-time strategy formula. I mean, it's a miracle what Advance Wars was able to do on the Game Boy Advance. In fact, saying this now, now makes me think, and, and I don't know if I ever did one in the past, but it'd be a nice update to do in 2020, would be a, a top eight, a sovereign top eight uh, Game Boy Advance games, because I am also a massive fan of that system. In fact, I have stories to tell of <laughs> how I got my first Game Boy Advance. Uh, it, it was an interesting time in the gaming world. That's uh, that's for sure. Um, it might be interesting to tell you how I got my first DS as well. I'm sure I'll get into that at some point, but it wasn't until much later in its life um, that I did. I, you know, I got to tell you, as it, and, and I've, I've said this many times, um, I personally identify first, I'm, I'm a gamer. Second, I'm a historian. Third, I'm a tech journalist. Okay. So that's the order of importance as far as I see what I do, more or less what I do in life. Right. I guess maybe first, you know, might get taken up as being an author, uh, which is something that, you know, has been a long time passion of mine. And one of the main reasons I ever got, or one of the main reasons I ever, ever touched a computer in the first place, uh, even as uh, someone, you know, too young to even be writing <laughs> quite frankly, but that anyway, that's another story for another time. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's a big deal to me, but that said, I rarely, rarely jump onto a platform or a new console generation handheld or otherwise, you know, I rarely jump in at the beginning. Like I am not the person who is, I mean, for games, I would, you know, in the past, I would attend midnight releases and so on, but I would never, ever, ever, you know, be like first in line to get my hands on the new console because, and it's part of the reason I'm doing these little specials, a, they were requested, but B, I think the part of the reason they're requested is that there's, there's just no way that any human being, even one that's been around since, since the dawn of video gaming, which I more or less have, could have possibly and lived at the same time and actually like had a fairly full life, right? There's no way you could possibly have played every great fucking game ever made. Now you might be able to squeeze in some top eights here and there, but there's no way you played every great freaking game ever made. And with that in mind, I mean, especially, you know, also consider this. With a lot of consoles, handheld, home, etc., with a lot of consoles, the best games for the system often come out either, well, they either come out at the beginning, so, you know, there's that argument, but I would argue that the best games for most consoles come out at the end of the console's life. Sometimes in the middle, but really like the real, the, the games that really push the limits of what that console can do come at the end. And, you know, when games, especially if you're a young person, um, I mean, I'm not, you know, 39, but 
Anyway, I wouldn't classify myself as a young person anymore, I suppose. But as a young person, you know, when, when you have limited resources, right? Like, what, do you, what are you going to, what is the smart person going to do, in my opinion, or the smart kid going to do? In my opinion, the smart kid is not going to bank on just being cool because he has the latest game system. Because, I mean, I, I already, you know, even, even when, well, when the DS came out, I mean, I was, fuck, I was like 25 <laughs> or 23 or so. Um, so it wouldn't have necessarily mattered at that point, at that stage anyway. But I had already seen where, ooh, you know, this person got the Atari Jaguar. Or even I had the Atari Lynx when it was, you know, when it, when it came out, you know, brand fresh and new. Uh, that didn't impress anybody. Like it was, if anything, it was just kind of seen as an oddity, you know? So, so where, where does the smarter money go? Does it go to, you know, the game that is on a proven platform made by a, perhaps a proven development team that's going to give you bang for the buck? Or are you just going to, you know, or are you going to go with an untested uh, system that frankly in a year might not even be supported anymore or a year or two, uh, a la the Dreamcast, even though the Dreamcast fortunately had a, also an incredible library, uh, you know, very early on in its short lifespan. So I was never the kind to jump in. I always waited. Like, I want to make sure that this console is going to be around before I lay down the good money on it, right? And I, again, I, I really, I think that's the, the smart way to play here, okay? Um, so with all of this said, with the DS, now the Nintendo DS originally came in 2000, it was released in 2004 uh, worldwide. It would go through a few iterations and really would, would basically be the first Nintendo console, more or less. I mean, we're not going to get into like satellite gaming and some other stuff, but the console worldwide, that was the first one to basically take advantage of an eShop, which would come much later in the DS family's life, particularly when we would get into the DSi. Now, I will not, to be clear on this, I will not be covering any DSi games. Um, it is admittedly, so the DSi ended up coming out in 2008 and basically ended off with uh, the Nintendo DSi XL, um, which... I think worldwide didn't come out until 2010 and the XL version of the DSI. I mean, this, this is a big deal because in fact, I have a couple corrections to make quick, but anyway, this is a really big deal with the XL because it Nintendo always toyed with making their handheld line smaller. They never really toyed with the idea of making it bigger. And I mean, even the DS between the DS and the DSI had the DS Lite, right? All of these things making it smaller, smaller, smaller. The XL was when they finally said, hey, let's increase the size of the screen. Let's do this, blah, blah, blah. And I think part of their confidence in that came from the fact that, you know, with with DSiWare, which were games that you could buy through the DSi shop, okay, you know, through through the e-store effectively of, of, its, of its time, um, in fact, earlier, I think I said that, that the DSi shop was the first uh, eShop that Nintendo had messed with. I, I think the dates, I'd have to look this up again, but I think actually WiiWare started coming out for the Nintendo Wii, started becoming more of a thing in like March or like earlier in 2008. And then the DSi would come out later in 2008 in Japan in the same year. So they, they're pretty concurrent as far as that goes. Um, regardless, 
Nintendo was clearly with the DSI XL was clearly looking at their handheld properties being basically flagship uh, consoles. And I think when you look at the 3DS library, you pretty clearly see that. And it also folds into the fact that particularly with the 3DS, that the 3DS has technically not been discontinued that Nintendo still considers it a platform. I mean, I don't think things have turned out exactly the way they wanted, but there's just so many games for it. Why would you stop now? You know, or like, why, why would you just suddenly not support it when you have this amazing game library uh, that people can still purchase? And the other part to this, and this is going to get to the point why I started talking about the DSi earlier on. The other part to this is that now that there is such a thing as an eShop, whatever that looks like, you know, whether it's the Wii shop, right? Having WiiWare and Virtual Console, whether it's the 3DS eShop, having Virtual Console as well as 3DS titles on there, whether it's the, you know, the DSiWare on the DSi shop, whatever that is, that eliminates, like Nintendo can basically still sell you games and still take a cut and gets rid of the secondhand market, right? That normally where you go buy used games at GameStop per se. And so I think part of the reason that Nintendo feels like the 3DS can continue on is because they can, why not? They can still get a piece of the pie when they're selling you games digitally instead of physically. All right. So that allows for that, for that to, for that very much to continue. I mean, when, when did the Wii shop finally close? I think the last date for downloading WiiWare was like 2015, 2016. I mean, that was forever, <laughs> you know, ultimately, well, I guess, well, it's 10 years, but still, that's pretty damn good. Now, the, I mean, this could turn into a whole conversation around the 3DS, which, of course, was the successor to the DS. But it's important to what, what's amazing to me. I mean, they had such confidence in the 3DS. In fact, I would not be surprised if uh, in the hallowed halls in Japan of Nintendo that they were basically asking themselves, hey, you know what? Um, Xbox and PlayStation are just killing it. The Wii U is a clusterfuck. We might pivot our entire business to handheld gaming. And in many ways, that's really still what they did with the switch, right? Because they know, and they've told us that they have the metrics showing that the bulk, you know, the majority of people play their switch in handheld mode and the handheld mode has justified the purchase of a lot of games that quote unquote, and I put that in quotes, better versions exist on other consoles, but people want to be able to play it portably. They buy it for the switch, right? So ultimately that did happen. Um, and perhaps because the real crime here and part of the reason all this long conversation, part of the reason that I am not covering DSIware games are two or well, part well, there's two reasons, but let me get into the, the, the first one here, or the first part. The first part is, is that it's practically impossible to play them anymore. I mean, I guess maybe there's some degree of emulation that might exist for DSiWare where you could make that happen. Um, I don't think that that's a popular scene. Reason being is that a lot of the, and this is the second reason of, of why I'm not covering DSiWare, the great games that came out for DSi that were DSi specific and that you could get over the eShop, those great games, almost all of them have been re-released or remastered 
in some form, like Shantae and so on. So there's not a whole lot of point in getting into those, and there weren't that many in the first place. It did feel like an experiment, as bold of a one as it was, right? So we're not going to cover DSiWare, but it's admit at the same time, and this is the point I was going to get to, at the same time, it is a shame any time that games, for whatever reason, you know, get lost to history. And it's and this is a major problem when you're dealing with, frankly, with e-stores, e-shops, et cetera, whatever you want to call them, with with digital games or with digitally released games, I should say. Every game's digital, more or less, but <laughs> at least video games. Um, but uh, yeah, that that that's that's disappointing. Uh, considering, I mean, and and maybe you know the sales numbers for the DSI just weren't up to snuff because. The only argument for getting, you know, if you bought a DS in 2004, right, and it was still working for you very well. And I mean, I got I got the system a little later. I When the DS Lite came out, I finally jumped on it. I'm a big fan. Like I said earlier, I don't jump on the first iteration or, or on release day for consoles. I usually wait for the next iteration because generally there's some kind of improvements or whatever. Uh, that come along with it. With the Switch, I finally broke down, you know, Link's Awakening, the remastering was coming out, and I finally said, all right, fine, <laughs> I'll, I'll get the Switch. Uh, and as to where really, I was waiting for like a Switch Pro or something along those lines. When the DS Lite came out, then I was like, oh, okay, I'm on it, I'm, I'm here. And at that point also, because the original DS and the DS Lite had uh, a Game Boy uh, or yeah, well, Game Boy Advance. It was only Game Boy Advance, but it had Game Boy Advance backwards compatibility. It's a shame it didn't have full Game Boy backwards compatibility like the S Game Boy SP and Ga or Game Boy Advance SP and the Game Boy Advance had, where it could all go back. Um, granted, the Game Boy Micro did not have that backwards compatibility. Um, as as you know, I mean, I, so my Game Boy Advance was dying, so it made sense to get a DS that could play, you know, all of my my top Game Boy Advance games again. And then there were legion of those. Uh, it's an incredible library. But my point here is that if you bought a DS or a DS Lite, when the DSi came out, the only value prop you really had, yeah, the XL having the larger screens was nice, okay? But really the only value prop you had was the DSiWare, and most of that was just kind of quirky. Like it, it wasn't even, you know, like there weren't other than maybe a Shantae game. It wasn't really that exciting. And with the DSI, you lost the Game Boy Advance uh, slot where you could put in your Game Boy Advance cartridges. You lost that functionality. And I think that was a huge loss. Kudos. And, and I'm sure Nintendo learned their lesson. And again, maybe that was another part of the failure or why the DSI wasn't, you know, broadly supported, uh, after the 3DS came out. I think Nintendo probably learned their lesson because any future iteration of the 3DS never got rid of the ability to play DS games. And that, that was a winning, winning concept. And in fact, I mean, there were early DS games, not to say that they were great, but there were early DS games that also required the GBA slot. So, you know, it, it was a mistake, I think. And so the DSi Overall, again, while it's still a shame to lose any game to time, overall, um, the DSi is a weird footnote. You know, that, I mean, it, it's akin to the, like, 
camera and printer that came out for the Game Boy Advance or for the original Game Boy. You know what I mean? Like, okay, well, that's kind of interesting, but why? <laughs> or it was like it was functionality, like uh uh it was a Super Mario Brothers Deluxe for the Game Boy Color. It had like office software in it. Like I don't mean Microsoft Office, but I mean basically office software. It didn't have spreadsheets, but it had like a calendar in it and all this other weird stuff. And I mean, it's just a straight calendar. It's like, wait, why? Like, what, what is this here for? <laughs> Am I going to save the dates on my, uh, on my cartridge? Uh, I mean, actually in Japan, they, they would, <laughs> but anyway, um, the DS though was really an impressive system and that dual screen setup. I mean, when you see one, they look a lot like a 3DS because it's that same clamshell design, which is great for protection. Obviously it wasn't the first time Nintendo had done that. They did that originally with Game Boy uh, Advance SP, uh, which I mean, people just loved it that they weren't worried about the screen getting scratched and just having that, like that nice compact feel and having it unfold. I mean, there's, there's really something to that, uh, to that effect with a lot of different devices. Grant you that Nintendo also had really already done dual screen systems decades before. Uh, I mean, there are, you know, the game and watch, uh, games that handheld games that they did. There was even like a Zelda one and so on. Um, so the DS wasn't exactly a new idea involving the touchscreen and stylus. That was, that was, a you know, somewhat of the pun intended, the game changer, uh, here. And like I said, it really did allow for a lot of new gameplay elements, a lot of new gameplay styles and so on that. You know, again, not all of them worked very well, but come time the 3DS and you end up with really brilliant ideas that took advantage of touchscreen controls uh, when you got to the 3DS. For example, like in Super Street Fighter 4, where you allowed it to be like another controller uh, and it actually had combo buttons and everything on. I mean, like, I mean, that's a simple example, but it's one of the examples. Um, so. The Nintendo DS, one of the best-selling handheld systems of all time. Granted, there aren't exactly a whole ton of handheld systems. I mean, Nintendo's only real competition outside of Tiger. (laughs) Yes, I know Sega tried a couple times, right? We all remember the Nomad, Um, you know, or or even had, you know, the TurboGrafx Express, uh, the Atari Lynx that I mentioned. I mean, there were attempts, but none of them had any real staying power. PlayStation certainly gave them their the best run for their money. And there's certainly great conversations and top eights, frankly, to have around the PSP and the Vita as well. Um, not that I'm going to have, I don't know when I would get to doing those. Um, even though a good modded Vita is, is a hell of a purchase. I mean, there's a lot of fun to have there because there's a lot of buttons <laughs> and, and a lot of horsepower, frankly, in that little thing. Um, also you get to play dragon's crown. So, Hey, what the hell? But as this conversation started, I mean, basically any franchise that any had any kind of name recognition, uh, would end up being on the DS. And I mean, everything, even if it was something that was, you know, more, uh, that you would think of being played on the Xbox or on a PlayStation, it would end up on the DS because it was just so dominant, right? It was, you know, it was, and the same was true for the Game Boy uh, as well. I mean, it's it's not a surprise. I mean, it's amazing, especially considering Nintendo's lack of history uh, with, overall with Star Trek games. Um, there was even a Star Trek game for the DS. Uh, it was was a Tactical Assault, um, which was not that great, but it, it was a thing. And and that's my point is that just about anything they they that could get a game or any franchise 
that you could somehow make a game out of it basically ended up on the DS. So there's a lot of shit to cut through, uh, a lot, a lot of shit to, to shovel out of the way. Uh, should we call it shitware? What the hell? Either shovelware, right? We'll call this shitware. There's a lot of that to get through uh, on the DS. In fact, I would argue most games on the DS, frankly, suck uh, and have no real longevity. But amongst the, the, the diamonds in the rough, they are some of the most precious stones you've ever held in your life. And I mean that. And some of them, in fact, have even been remade to this day on either, say, the Switch perhaps even on the 3DS. In fact, my top game for the 3DS, which was, and I usually don't do the, the top eights in order, but I will tell you what my favorite is. And I had basically said my favorite one was a game called Radiant Historia. Now, this is a game that did come out for the DS originally and was part of that, like I said earlier, the best games always come at the end of the system, or in my opinion, always come at the end of a system's life. This is one of those end games that I think a lot of people missed. Atlas was it Atlas that made that? Anyway, they knew that they must have known that. And so they're like, all right, well, we're going to, we got the, the 2DS set, 2DS XL is coming out. There's this new hotness that is happening. Nintendo's pushing it with Samus Returns. Let's put out, let's re-release Radiant Historia and, you know, and, and get people on board with this great game that a lot of people unfortunately probably missed because again, it was at the end of the DS's lifespan. Uh, you know, and, and, and again, like though that's one of those games where, okay, yeah, there's a lot of shit on the DS, just like there's a lot of shit on, you know, on every iteration of, game, of the Game Boy. But some of the greatest games ever made, and in fact, considering the amount of games made, there are still a lot of some of the greatest games ever made on these handheld platforms. The 2DS is no exception. The 2DS would also, much like the 3DS, find itself as being the home for re-releases and ports of, and, and effectively remasters, of uh, some classic Nintendo works and some other games, um, not just from Nintendo. Though, as to where I kind of avoided those, the 3DS, because they were so dominant on the 3DS, I'm not going to avoid those in the top eight for the DS because they are such important games that like they, they need to be included on the list. They need to be there uh, because they're just that, they're, I mean, I think an argument could be somewhat made that, okay, Star Fox 64 3D wasn't that dramatic of an improvement. Ocarina of Time was still great when it came out for the N64, Majora's Mask, and so on. Um, you know, that that some of those ports maybe just, you know, yeah, they they put in some awesome stuff and they're worthwhile to play again and there's enough there to play it again and so on. Uh, but, you know, if you played the originals, you're still fine. Um, I would argue that some of the ports for the DS, no, these are definitive versions, not just definitive. Like these are almost wholly new games. And I might speak some sacrilege for some here when we get into this top eight, but these are almost wholly new games compared to their originals to the point that like, there's just no way I would ever play the originals again. So why don't we go ahead you know, we've talked about the DS, wildly successful system. Uh, again, started in 2004, basically had shelf life until about 2014, even as the 3DS was a thing. Um, I mean, it, you had the Nintendo DS, then you had the DS Lite, then you went to the DSi, then you had the DSi XL, which again, the DSi XL became the pattern, I think, for, for Nintendo's handheld strategy from there on out. Um, I mean, understand, there's rumors of SKUs, right? SKU, 
there's rumors of SKUs for and builds, even in the code for dual screen Nintendo Switches. So this dual screen concept hasn't gone away yet. Again, when, when Nintendo came out with the DS, they were revisiting an old idea. Um, but we might visit that again. Okay. <laughs> and effectively it's still around with the 3DS, of course. So it's worthwhile to talk about this. And in fact, if that does end up getting announced and does happen, that gives me some hope for some DS games to, to make a comeback. Um, now, keep in mind that also a lot of these great DS games also found their way onto the virtual console on the Wii U. As unsuccessful as the Wii U was, the Wii U was a fantastic system for remasters and ports and for its virtual console. I mean, it really, really was uh, because because of the dual screen nature of that, right? Whereas the TV and the, the, the uh, you know, the tablet controller that you that you held in your hand that allowed for you to play DS games as they were intended, right? With two screens. So there is an advantage there as well. Um, and you would end up with two games that aren't going to make the list here because they're just easy to put on that being phantom hourglass and spirit tracks. Those are the two legend of Zelda games made for the DS. They were based around the universe and the, uh, cartoonish stylings, of course, of, um, legend of Zelda, the wind waker, which would get an HD release also on the Wii U. So, I mean, that was nice. You could kind of play that entire universe um, on that system, I guess, minus Triforce Heroes. But anyway, those two games, those are just easy. Zelda games are easy picks, right? You know, like, like they just, you should just count Zelda games as like number zero because they're always the best games on, on Nintendo's platforms. Almost always. I think uh, just, just, you know, if you're doing a top eight number zero, you know, the one above everything, you know, sitting above it all like God or something, there is no God, but anyway, <laughs> uh, it's, you know, it's it just absolutely it's, it's the Zelda games. So there's no point really in including them in the top eight. Everybody knows everybody's waiting for them. Some people won't buy a Nintendo system until a Zelda games comes out for it. And I totally understand that, uh, that notion, but anyway, let's talk about this. Uh, why don't we get into the, to the top eight here? Uh, like I said, yeah, some of these games you were able to play on the Wii U through the virtual console. Uh, maybe we'll be able to play some of them again on the Switch. Again, because of the dual screen nature of some of the gameplay. Now, there have been re-releases, like I said, of even DS games or games that originally took advantage of, say, dual screen natures of even the Wii U or the DS that ended up on the Switch where, you know, they just kind of changed up the, the UI and it still allowed you to have that basic functionality, right? Because the switch still has a touchscreen ultimately, um, or however you end up using it, you know, or you have the, the pro controller, which has, you know, a gazillion buttons on it. Um, but so for the Nintendo DS, again, if you, am I recommending anybody go out and buy a DS? No, there's no point. Buy a 3DS because it plays these games perfectly and has more powerful hardware underneath. So, you know, your load screens are faster, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there's just no argument for, in my opinion, for buying a DS. Um, my original, so actually I, I said I would do this. And so I need to do it. How, when did I first get a DS? Like I said, I first got, got it as the DS Lite. And I think I bought the DS Lite in 2008. This is before the DSi uh, was a thing. And I bought the, the DS, the DS light, but I bought 
like a really like fucked up one on eBay at the time. And Amazon at the time was selling, and this used to be, and maybe you can still do this on there or even on eBay. In fact, people do this for a lot of different consoles, not just the DS, obviously, but they would sell custom uh, replacement. And I know they have them for the switch as well. Custom replacement uh, casing for your system where you take your system apart and you put on a custom case. So there was a version of the DS Lite that I think came with spirit tracks or maybe it came with phantom hourglass that was all gold had the triforce on it and everything. I loved, it. I thought it was gorgeous. Right. Um, I missed out on that. And once you miss out on what some of the releases of those custom systems that Nintendo puts out or customized systems, you know, you're, you're going to end up paying triple to get your hands on them. And I'm just not going to do that. Okay. So what I did is I bought just a shitty one that needed like a new touchscreen and whatever else. I don't even think I spent 30 bucks on this thing. And, but on Amazon, I spent about 30 bucks on a new touchscreen, the little tri-wing screwdriver kit and all that. And, uh, and I bought the case that looked exactly like the, you know, the, the Zelda version of the DS Lite. And I ended, and the only pain in the ass is the fucking ribbon cable in the hinge because you have to like twist it and wrap it around that, that, that really sucked. But I, I basically repaired this, this, you know, busted, uh, uh, DS or DS Lite, And it looked like a brand new system when I was done, you know, new touchscreen, new case, everything. And it worked beautifully. And frankly, I, I mean, I had it forever, um, until I ended up getting a three DS. Basically I had that, that DS Lite. Um, and I love the DS Lite because it, again, it could play GBA games as well. Now, here's the thing where that's not as big a deal for me now. And that is because emulating Game Boy Advance games can be done everywhere and is really, really simple. And in fact, a lot of the great Game Boy Advance games have also been re-released onto, you know, varying modern systems. A lot of the ones that I'd want to play. There's ones that you can't, but then again, they're easy enough to play on varying forms of hardware. And it is pretty much perfect emulation as to where it gets into funny areas with say the lack of a 3d screen. If you're trying to emulate the 3ds or it gets into funny areas with controls like the DS Lite or whatever else, you know, you run into issues when you're just emulating these things, even if you could get picture perfect emulation of any kind. Um, with, with the Game Boy, like th that's just not an issue at all. So I don't feel the need to have like a physical Game Boy uh, to be able to do that. In fact, I'm really looking forward to Analog's Pocket System, which will probably be like the best Game Boy system ever made. Uh, we'll, we'll see what all, I mean, it doesn't have dual screens, but we'll, you know, we'll see what all it ends up uh, being able to do if they end up releasing that in 2020. Now, actually, before I do get into the games, I would be remiss if I also didn't talk about, and this was a huge deal for, for portable systems or for consoles in general, the fact that the DS had built-in Wi-Fi had like its own communication protocols and everything could do local multiplayer, all kinds of wacky shit. That was awesome. I mean, that, that was a really, really cool feature that some aspects of did not translate up to the 3DS. Uh, and that's a shame. But man, that was cool. <laughs> I mean, that, that, uh, in fact, it, it could connect, um, with like the Wii. 
I mean, you know, you could do varying things with it, which Nintendo had been experimenting with that for a while. Like the Game Boy Advance could connect. Of course, that had to use a cable, wasn't Wi-Fi, but could connect to the GameCube and so on. And, you know, it made for some interesting uh, gameplay features. But regardless, um, that was another great aspect of the DS. Again, so many things got baked into the DS that now we consider standards that were fairly revolutionary at the time. You know, not like systems having Wi-Fi was was exactly new, but this is a pretty new deal, you know, for 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 that to be. I mean, you know, you could go back to the Saturn as far as consoles that could connect to the Internet, but something that was really viable and basically worked. Yeah, I mean, the DS, the DS took it. And so a credit to that system, I think it, it sort of gets forgotten by a lot of people especially with the 3DS being so similar in so many ways that they just kind of like have a train of thought that just runs over it. But no, this, this was a, a radical departure of a system uh, from anything else of its time. And it, w- it would ultimately be a system that would have representation from all of Nintendo's major franchises, except for maybe Super Smash Brothers. That was the only weird exception that, w- that wasn't on. I mean, you had Mario Kart DS, uh, you know, you, you had everybody, even Metroid. We'll get to that. You had everybody on the DS, uh, but smash brothers wasn't on there. And I find that to be kind of odd. I wonder if at some point they were developing that because when smash brothers came out for the 3ds, I mean, I still play that. I still play that version of smash brothers on the 3ds because it's so cool to have it, you know, so portable. Yes. I know you can obviously do that on the switch, but I mean, I've had, you know, smash brothers 3ds for so long. Yeah, it is odd that that was never on the DS, but otherwise everything you could imagine is there and is there in top form. And in some cases, very much returning uh, form. So in fact, with the mention of returning form, why don't we get into our top eight? Now, these are in no particular order. And ultimately, I would say the game Radiant Historia would probably be my favorite on the DS as well. Um, Granted, the 3DS version added a lot, but you, as I said, when I reviewed it for the 3DS top eight, um, it's a tremendous, you know, it, it's a tremendous game no matter where you play it. Uh, so, but that's not on the top eight here. I will give you a number one might be seen as a somewhat of a cheat, but I'll tell you what my, what my favorite is outside of Radiant Historia. But, uh, and we have some honorable mentions to get in throughout the, throughout the top eight, but let, let's get into it. And like I said, as far as returning to form, this leads us to, well, our first game uh, in the top eight. And really it could have been this, this could almost be number one. Yes. This game is that good. Granted, anything making the top eight should really be considered on the great side of things, but this was a, a wild seller. I mean, just you know, the old saying sold hotcakes, right? I mean, hot, hotcakes were flying everywhere. Uh, this was such a big deal. I think this pushed a lot of DS systems. Um, and that is new emphasis on the word new boy. Nintendo seems to love using that, but new super Mario brothers, this would end up getting an equally great sequel on the three DS that being new super Mario brothers two, and would also have new super Mario brothers, U and whatever that would get re-released on switch, etc. Anyway, this for the DS new super Mario brothers was a return to form in that if you were, 
I don't know, whatever was making things complex for you with Mario. Uh, Maybe you didn't like his ventures in 3D, you know, in in the more three-dimensional realm, right? Super Mario Galaxy. And so, I mean, I can't, I don't, I can't understand why you wouldn't like those games. But if you didn't, if you're looking to play that classic styled Super Mario Brothers, and I get it, Super Mario Brothers 1 is just, it's one of those games that I go back to, right? When I just want to basically not think because it's a game you can play almost on pure reflex and instinct because it's just a game that we've, or, you know, especially people my age that we've played so many fucking times. And it is, I mean, the controls, everything about it is still so classic, still so intuitive. Um, it's wonderful to play, you know, even to this day. Well, new super Mario brothers basically took that formula, updated it, you know, in, in many ways, but, and, and it has somewhat of a faux 3d look. I mean, it's kind of a mixture between what you would see, you know, in like super Mario, well, any 3d super Mario adventure. And I mean, 3ds, I mean, you know, again, super Mario sunshine, whatever. It's a mixture between that and almost like donkey Kong country. It kind of looks like it has very, very cute graphics. That's, that's the best word for it. Um, but it is 2d. And I mean, there's some different uh, abilities that are in it, even different from what was say in Super Mario Brothers three or Super Mario World and so on. Uh, in fact, there's the giant feature where now, you know, you, <laughs> I think ever since the 80s, you had people wondering what happens if Mario could take a second growing mushroom, right? <laughs> How big could he get? Well, you get the opportunity to find out in this game effectively. Uh, it is cl- totally classic by the numbers, by the notes, uh, uh, Mario brothers, you know, from the, from the eighties and, and, and early nineties, uh, it, it is a welcome return to form. I'm just as happy that, you know, we end up with super Mario odyssey and all of those, but going back to this style in a very direct two dimensional way was such a winner, uh, did not need the dual screens really to do what it does. I mean, it made for some nice UI, but it wasn't really necessary. Uh, it's a fantastic game. Simple, not terribly difficult. Yep. But that's why it's such a beautiful game. Um, and again, again, it would inspire an entire new SARP again, new as in that's in the name, new super Mario brothers series. Uh, and also, I mean, frankly, that series is best selling and for good reason. Um, this style of play really should have never gone away. It should have never fallen away. Uh, and I mean, and, and even with super Mario world, I feel like it gave into certain complexities, uh, that, you know, are great, but it is a very different type of gameplay. So to go back to, you know, eighties, Mario basically, uh, was a winning idea and, and it plays beautifully. Um, again, I, I feel like this game, this is one of those games that pushed, you know, there's the games that push gamers into buying a console like Zelda and so on. And then there are the games that push grandma or whoever, you know, everybody else into buying a console. This is one of those. And so it absolutely has to be on this list. It's an absolute return to form. And again, not like Mario needed necessarily to return to form to be relevant. Not at all. Uh, he's perfectly relevant in any style of game that he ends up in, but to go back to the roots. Yeah. You know, go back to basics. Absolutely winning formula here. Uh, classic, classic game already. Um, let's go out. In fact, while, while we're in that vein, uh, in fact, I'm looking at my list here and I'm like, oh shit, there's, there's some Mario on here. <laughs> there's <laughs> not that much more, uh, but getting back to it, 
Um, one of the games in the top eight for, uh, for the 3DS was Yoshi's New Island, which was effectively a sequel to Super Mario World 2, Yoshi's Island. There was a game in between there that I did not mention in the 3DS Top 8, and it is, just as I said, it, look, if you love Super Mario World uh, 2, you know, if you loved Yoshi's Island, you're going to go nuts over Yoshi's New Island. Right. If you know what you're getting into with Yoshi's Island, you know what you're getting in with Yoshi's New Island. There is a game in between those two, though, which is Yoshi's Island DS. And the same argument for Yoshi's New Island holds here. If you know what you're getting into, you you love that Yoshi gameplay. And it is it is a unique and different. You know, it, it, it's it's a superpower on the Mario formula. Right. Because, you know, Yoshi is that powerful. Um and in fact, this has like baby Mario in it. That's, I think that's where the character might've first gotten introduced. Who's now very popular in Mario Kart and so on. Uh, it, it's a brilliant game. It's actually a very nice, very sweet story. Uh, I mean, Mario doesn't require really a storyline and you usually get a very bare, bare, bare bones one in whatever you're playing. But with Yoshi's Island DS, you actually got a much, much more overarching story and it's very sweet. Um, I don't want to spoil it for you because the, the, the opening cinematic as it were is one of the best, I think in, in, if you want to, if you want to call, you know, Yoshi games, Mario games in Mario's history, uh, I love this game you can play it over and over and over again. It's one of the first cartridges that actually went bad on me. And I guess it's because, you know, I just kept using it so much. Um, so I've actually bought this game a couple times over now. Uh, it, it's, yeah, just a stunner. So if you love the Yoshi's Island series, I mean, this is a game that you have to play. Fortunately, again, you can play both Yoshi's New Island and Yoshi's Island DS on the same system, the 3DS, right? So that, that gives us two out of our top eight. We'll, we'll rock with that. Let's go to the next one. And again, they're not in really any particular order, though I am going to have a number one, uh, maybe a number two and a number one. So we'll say this is number six, but again, they're all kind of on the same level, level of greatness here. Uh, with number six... Star Fox Command. Uh, this is another one of those just tremendous, tremendous games. Uh, the Star Fox series, for some, has been kind of touch and go, right? Star Fox Adventures, of course, which originally wasn't meant to be a Star Fox game, didn't land with everybody, no pun intended. Uh, Star Fox Zero, some people weren't a huge fan of that, but I thought Star Fox Command, which had a really nice mixture of, well, you had... You know, it, it was, it was, but you had like a turn-based strategy game involved in this, but that could morph into battle mode at any given, you know, whenever that was about to happen. Um, and also it had the advantage of being all range, right? Instead of necessarily on rails where, you know, when you get into certain aspects of the game, it played like you've always wanted Star Fox to play and kind of more like Star Fox 64. Admittedly, one of the real winners with the game was the uh, six-player local multiplayer over Wi-Fi. Um, it's, again, I mean, being able to do that, I'm sure there's varying emulators or whatever else that could try to, well, emulate that functionality as well. Um, but there's plenty of game without the multiplayer. Plenty of great story. Uh, I mean, you know, it, and yes, it's, it's your classic Star Fox action, but then we haven't, 
uh, well, what is it? The, the, the Anglar, I think that you're taking on in that, but we haven't had really, when you think about it, we haven't had a lot of Star Fox games. So it's not, even if it were, if this game played exactly like Star Fox or the now released Star Fox two, you know, or anything along those lines, who would complain? Because I mean, we haven't had that many to begin with. Right. Um, so, but Star Fox command, a lot of nice, you know, newer touches. Again, I like the, the turn-based aspect of it, which I'm not always the biggest fan of turn-based strategy, but Star Fox command does it really well, partly because you do get to get nitty gritty. Um, you know, it's not just like final fantasy tactics or something, right? Like you get to get nitty gritty and actually, you know, fly around the R wing and so on. So it's got what you want as far as Star Fox goes. Uh, again, I mean, just a really, really, really tight, solid Star Fox experience. Easily one of the best Star Fox games ever made. Probably, probably, you know, if you're to rank them now that Star Fox two is like an officially released thing, I guess before Star Fox two came out, finally got re finished and re-released quote unquote finished and re-released, even though really it already, the ROM had been out there forever. Um, this would have been in the top three. Now it gets booted, I guess, to number four, right? With Star Fox. Uh, actually, I think Star Fox 2 is better than Star Fox 1, but Star Fox 2, Star Fox 1, and then, you know, and then Star Fox 3D, of course, uh, or, or Star Fox 64 3D. Uh, so you get that nice trilogy, but Star Fox Command, you know, fits right in. I mean, it's it, it it's at that level, even though it's very different uh, in some ways from those three games. So absolute winner there. Uh, let's move on to number five. This is one that you might not have been expecting. And that a lot of people that I've talked to who definitely went crazy on their DS library might've missed this one. Uh, and I understand why. So with the DS you had, there was a major publishing deal done earlier on with the DS, um, where it was like a four game publishing deal. One of those games included fantasy star zero which is a game that doesn't, that could have made this list should have made this list, but it's a little too reliant on its multiplayer aspects that isn't terribly accessible right now to put it mildly. <laughs> and there's just not enough single player there with fantasy star zero. So it should have been there, but it's not, but this game was part of that four game deal that they made that Nintendo made with Sega. And it's probably the best of the bunch, all the same. Um, it is, you know, I toss around the word epic a lot. Ever since the internet's been a thing, the word epic has gotten tossed around a lot. This is, you know, where the word is meeting its dictionary definition and where it's totally applicable. This game is epic. It is on an epic, it is on one of the grandest scales possible. Um, and that be, the game is infinite space and it lives up to that fucking name because you are literally hopping galaxies in this game. It's, it's a gigantic, you know, it, it's yeah. It, you know, real time tactical role-playing, right? Okay. So it's a role-playing game, uh, has some space simulation elements to it. Um, the storyline, I mean, it has, you know, kind of your more anime styled, of course, I mean, it's Sega it has more of your anime styled artistry to it. I wouldn't call it a 4X game, right? But it kind of feels like that because there's so many different elements of gameplay involved. The, st the story is second to none. 
and you are literally hopping galaxies. I mean, you know, you were, it takes place like thousands, tens of thousands of years in the future for humanity. Um, and they're taking on a threat, you know, invading the entire universe and, you know, all these different galactic, and I mean that galaxies, galactic outposts. Um, there was some multiplayer that you could do that. That was actually fairly on par with star Fox command um, that you could do over local Wi-Fi. That was, that was really, really slick has some elements in the story. I'll just put it this way because I don't want to give everything away. It has some elements of childhood's end by Arthur C. Clarke, the tremendous novel. Um, I mean, it, it just, it, it delivers on all of it. I don't know why. Okay. Well here, here's part of it. So this is a game that definitely requires the control scheme that a DS offers as in the dual screens or at the very least a touch screen. So that's probably part of the reason it's never really been re-released. It could totally do with a re-release. Okay. Or a remastering full on or whatever, because the gameplay is still that good. Here's the thing is that it has a super steep learning curve. The controls are not intuitive. It does feel really complex. And so, and it's not a game that's necessarily hard. It, I mean, it, it is as far as, you know, th th these kinds of, uh, uh, you know, role-playing games can be, which is good. I mean, you want it to have some difficulty, of course, but what really makes it hard is just that the controls are a pain in the ass and, and, and they don't exactly make sense and they're very complex. It's not, I don't even want to call them a pain in the ass. We have another game on this list that, that, that where the controls are a literal pain in the ass, even though it's still a great game. Um, but they're just, it's just complex. It's not, it's not intuitive. And, and I think that probably turned a lot of people off. Like, what the fuck am I doing? You know, when I'm playing this, but it is, especially the ending so worth playing and it's largely single player. I mean, the multiplayer is sort of an afterthought. It's a good one, but it was sort of an afterthought. Uh, so this is a definite pickup that, that is not available on any other platform that you want to get for the DS. Like I said, you, you know, you don't need to buy a DS. You can get a 3DS or there is pretty good DS emulation out there. Uh, so you could rock that as well. But this is one of the top games you should be picking up. This is one of those games. The only thing I could compare it to. Actually, it's a great comparison would be like Rogue Galaxy for the PlayStation 2. I, I know that Rogue Galaxy eventually got released via PlayStation 2 emulation for the PlayStation 4. I know that that happened and there is some degree of like upscaling to where, you know, it looks good in 1080p on that. But rogue galaxy is one of these mind blowing, amazing games, epic scale, epic story, the whole thing. And literally epic, uh, that I don't know why people still aren't talking about, you know, I, I, I can't begin to fathom, you know, why isn't rogue galaxy making a lot of people's a lot of just gaming top 10 lists overall. It should easily be doing that infinite space. Same deal. It, it, it's, it's the same situation where it's like everybody just kind of, okay. So because it's not final fantasy or dragon quest, we don't pay attention. Like that, 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 that's what it feels like to me, which is probably the same thing that happened to radiant historia. Uh, these are, these are massive games with so much, even, I mean, there's so much to do in side quests and other things. I just don't get it. Uh, this, I could almost put this in my, as my top DS game. Cause it's that fucking good. And, and it's such great space opera. Uh, you just, you got to pick it up and try it. You know, it's a lengthy game, but I guarantee you that ending's worth it. I mean, you are in for a real treat. 
Um, so infinite space, you you want to, I mean, it, they, they even broke it up into like multiple parts. It feels like you're playing Dune almost. I mean, <laughs> I mean it's, it's space opera, but yeah, g- g- give it a shot. You're going to love it. Um, speaking of, you know, I just mentioned Dragon Quest and Final Fantasy. So there, there were a lot of Final Fantasy re-releases as well as what was it the after years or whatever for Final Fantasy four and so on that ended up coming out for the DS that were very popular games on the platform. Um, those are all of that. Everything that, that was on the DS is basically available somewhere else. And even the DS final fantasy re-releases and they were ultimately re-releases, uh, re-releases actually of remasterings. Um, they were re-releases of the remasters done for the PS one largely. I mean, there's some new games involved as well, but overall they were that. And I think they are lesser forms than especially like play, uh, Final Fantasies one through three that ended up on the PlayStation one. And so I, I actually, I find, I find Final Fantasy kind of disappointing on the DS, even though I know that was one of the biggest sellers uh, that that whole series on there. Um, on the flip side, the, full remasterings that were in some of which are starting to get re-released on other platforms. In fact, you can get them on like on smartphones, you know, on iOS and Android, and you can get them on. Some of them have been made available on switch. I will probably pick them up the later because one through three, the remasters of dragon quest one, two, and three are on switch. I'm hoping they did good numbers because the remasters of four, five, and six, I want on switch. But these remasters were originally put out on the Nintendo DS. Uh, and especially like the remaster of Dragon Quest IV, one of the greatest games of all time, Chapters of the Chosen, was brilliant. Because that game, that was another game where it was later in the life, right? We keep talking about this, where it's later in the life of the console. And so people forget about it. Dragon Quest IV, or what was or in America, what was Dragon Warrior IV for the, for the NES, was later on, but it's such a complex and, and game on such a large scale. Uh, I think a lot of people missed it. It was a game where you needed back then for the nest, you needed the map, you know, you needed to unfold the map to play it and everything. It was, it was awesome. Um, but the re-releases of dragon quest four five and six, particularly on the DS are our first rate. Uh, I mean, they, each one of those could have made this list. Hand of the Heavenly Bride, and uh, I keep forgetting the name of, Dra- of Dragon Quest VI, but awesome games, awesome games, very worthwhile uh, on the DS. That said, I do imagine they're going to come out on the Switch as well, so you may just want to hold out, uh, you know, for for those. But just those are more of those honorable mentions, right? Um, let's move on to let's move on to another one. Uh, this is uh, the first on the console of re-releases of classic Nintendo games where they were dramatically expanded on the DS more so than I think just about anything that was re-released on the 3DS, frankly. Uh, I mean, these, these are dramatic expansions of these games. And this one is Kirby superstar ultra It's one of the first games I bought when I got my DS Lite. Um, it is a remaster and expansion of Kirby superstar on from from the snes from the super nintendo but i mean there's just so much added in here and that is such a fun collection of games Uh, and that's what it is it's a collection of varying mini games you know that doesn't necessarily have like a narrative thread 
but the, I mean, there is Kirby is so much fun, you know, a cute character. Yes, but always so much fun in every game that you end up playing Kirby. I mean, and, and the idea of like, you know, taking powers and everything granted, I mean, other effectively other characters like Mega Man and so on would do these things as well. But I don't know the, the way the mechanic with Kirby just seems to, because it's instantaneous in the level and you don't really have to like defeat a big boss to get those new powers like you would in other franchises uh, just makes for classic gameplay. That, that is, that is really, really fun and, and creates a lot of strategy, even though Kirby games are known for being kind of easy. Uh, I think you can make it challenging for yourself in, in how you want to think about the different powers that you have access to and so on. And again, there's a, there's varying games for this. I mean, you're, you're basically buying like five, six games in one when you buy Coop, uh, Kirby superstar ultra. Uh, so that that's number four on my list here. I, I, I love this game so much, uh, just a lot of fun. And again, a dramatic expansion from the original version, uh, which is available on switch online, but night and day, like it's disappointing that they wouldn't put out the ultra version on there. Uh, Granted, I get it. Maybe it needed the, the horsepower that the DS has and, it, you know, just doesn't fit in with putting it on, on Switch Online. But this is going to be, I think, ultimately one of the real challenges with Switch Online is that, yeah, we have classic games, but some of these games have been revamped so much. No, let us play the revamps because they put Nintendo put a lot of effort, a lot of time and effort and sometimes made or broke. And I wouldn't they didn't break any of them, but but made a game worth playing or replaying consistently with the improved version. So I just hope these are things I hope we don't lose to time. Fortunately, you know, the DS is largely a physical library and that's not really a problem. Uh, and emulation is a thing too, obviously. So let's go on to number three. Uh, and number three is one of the, it was kind of a launch title, but kind of not. It came, part of it came pre-installed when the DS was released. And then the, the full game was available out there for, you know, everyone to get their hands on. This is a game that took a, was really a technical showcase, but also took advantage heavily of the Wi-Fi capabilities of the DS. But it also had an impressive, uh, very impressive and lengthy, and it was the bulk of the game, uh, you know, single player experience. And that is, frankly, a, a, a lesser played entry in one of the top, franchise and really sub franchise uh, franchises of all time. That being not just Metroid, but Metroid prime. And the game is Metroid prime hunters. This is a game where it's amazing how good it looks on the DS. It's amazing how the 3d graphics work. Everything about it is just solid on presentation. It's your classic Metroid prime play. Right. I mean, it's a lot more first person shooter, but you still get to do all the scanning. Everything has a description, everything, everything you love about Metroid Prime. It's somehow handheld. And at the time in the aughts, that was remarkable. Right. The problem with this game, <laughs> not like infinite space where the controls are just weird or, or are just uh, uh, complex. And so, you know, like they're not intuitive. And so you know, it, it can kind of hamper getting through the game. This is a game where the controls are excruciating, but the game is so good. The stories, sound, everything about it is so solid. You can't help but want to play it. And it's Metroid. I mean, that, that makes it an instant win, right? In, in many cases, 
some people want to bring in, well, we can talk about Federation Force, but anyway. I, you, the way you have, because you have to hold the stylus to kind of do some of the scanning and do some other things. Um, I mean, you're just, you're holding the DS in a very weird way. And in fact, this is one where when you have either the DSX, DSi XL, or if you have even a 3DS XL, if you have a larger handheld system, for some people, I can imagine this would be a real challenge to play it because you sort of have to hold it in such a way where you can also hold the stylus at the same time. I mean, it, it it's in a first person shooter. It's one thing to do it in spirit tracks or, or phantom hourglass, right? It's a whole other thing to do it, you know, with a first person shooter. And it, it just, it doesn't work. Like, I mean, it works, you can do it, but it's, it's a pain in the ass. And I'm glad actually that the single player is not terribly lengthy, but it's such a great experience. It's a great story. And you know, it's handheld Metroid prime, you know, until Metroid prime four comes out. I mean, yeah, it, it's a fun experience. There, there's nothing else really quite like it. Uh, I, I would almost, I would dare argue, but it's basically one of those games that you just have to play. You know, if you're going to rock the DS, you just have to see it. Uh, and now it it's, I think it's still a technical Marvel considering how old the game is and how good it looks again in that, in, you know, in its portable setting, right now let's switch off from that and let's, let's go to our top two. Then I have some honorable mentions I want to bring up. Okay. Um, but Metroid prime hunters, I mean, it's really cool to have more characters in the Metroid universe and certainly does a great job of introducing a lot of that, which the Metroid prime series has done, you know, a fantastic job of anyway. Uh, at some point Nintendo really, I mean, in Metroid prime four is coming for the switch. We know that, but at some point Nintendo has to take advantage of this remarkable sci-fi universe that they have. Uh, it needs to translate to theaters. It needs to, you know, it needs to translate to the big screen. It needs to translate to other screens, right? It needs to translate to live action at some point. I mean, this is just, this has long been a missed opportunity. I remember when, I mean, like there, there have been commercials for Metroid games that implemented some degree of live action and how excited people were for that sort of thing. We, I mean, we've been hankering for it. Granted, this is also all true Zelda, but Anyway, at some point, I'm sure we're going to get that. We know Nintendo's been talking about it. Now, getting on to let's get to the top two, and then we, we got to wrap this one up. We're going over an hour here, which uh, I didn't intend. But number two is Contra 4. For some people, this is, in their minds, the greatest Contra game ever made. Considering the amount of Contra games that there are and how great we'll say most of the Contra games are N not all, <laughs> obviously not all, but to best alien wars to, you know, to be in that number is, is, I mean, that's no mean feat here, right? I mean that like that, that's, that's remarkable that, that they were able to pull that off with, with Contra four. If you love Contra, I don't need to explain this to you. You know what you're getting, you know, you know what you're getting with the running gun. You, you know, what's going on. Um, Contra four adds in a lot of, I mean, fascinating weapons, a lot of very interesting elements into the gameplay. Um, this is, I've also heard some people have told me, of course, anecdotally, but I've had people tell me this is the entire reason that I bought a DS. You know, this is the entire reason that I still want a 3DS. I just want to make sure that I can always play Contra 4 whenever I need to rock that shit out. I get it because you're not wrong. It is that damned good and easily sits in my number two spot. Now, Let's go to number one. So number one and number two, these are definitely areas where I'm saying, yes, these are the best experiences. Number one 
is my argument for why you don't want to make a Nintendo 64 mini. You still could, but well, anyway, there's a lot, there are a lot of Nintendo 64 games that frankly don't hold up today. Like, like they, it just feels weird. And people talk about all the time, like it's the early area era of 3d and so on. There's a charm to the early era of 3d gaming. Yes. Um, but there are a lot of, and, and I mean, we're talking like first party high franchise games that should never see or that don't, I mean, yes, I want them available, but you don't have to, they don't need to, to, to uh, make the light of day again. Right. This is the part where I said earlier that some might find this sacrilege. I don't think so. Now I remember playing uh, Mario 64. Okay. On the Nintendo 64. Uh, people say, you know, often you hear from them that you know, reviewers and everything in the industry would say this was the first great 3D game and so on. And and I, I do see where they're coming from and I understand why they feel that way, etc. I've always felt like, especially in comparison to like your Crash Bandicoots and some others, I've always felt like Mario 64 was a very limiting game. I am not complaining necessarily because I understand the challenges that, especially at the time to get something like that, to work on a fucking cartridge and so on. I get it. I understand. But that said, there are genuine, there has been a genuine, you know, it's funny. Everybody was talking about, Oh, we, the, somebody got Mario 64 to work on PC and 4k and wow. It's so awesome. And blah, blah. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you're a liar. In fact, uh, no, this game, in my opinion, did not become truly, truly great until it was re-released and massively expanded on different characters. I mean, all kinds of things. Yoshi gets involved very early on and so on until it was re-released on the DS. And so Super Mario 64 DS, I would argue, I would say this is almost the quintessential game to play on that platform. It would be the quintessential game almost to play on any platform. Again, the addition of characters, the addition of a lot of gameplay elements, the more freeform nature of it, where it didn't feel as like on point and you weren't hampered so much by the very odd camera. There's so many, anything you thought was wrong with Mario 64 on the N64 or that doesn't hold up today, I almost guarantee you the DS version fixed it. Fixed the whole damn thing. Being able to play with the other characters amazing how much that changes and creates a lot of replayability with a game that I think for a lot of people was, uh, was kind of a one trick pony, whether they wanted to admit it or not. This, I mean, the, the, the proof of what you can do with an older game, when you add even elements that still more or less fit within the older style, uh, that you can turn it into a, almost a whole new game and Saying breathing new life into it, I mean, it doesn't do it justice, just how great this is. That's why I'm saying I don't care if Mario 64 never ends up on Switch. There's no way it's not going to end up on Switch Online. I don't care if it never end, it ended up on Switch Online. I don't care if there's never an, an N64 Mini. I don't care about any of that. People are talking about varying Mario games getting released in 2020 because it's the 35th anniversary, whatever the fuck else. Okay, I get that. If they are going to re-release... Mario 64, it better be the DS version because otherwise I'm telling you here, unless they're going to expand even upon that, it's not worth the time when you've played the DS version and then you play the original, you, 
you cannot help but instantly realize how much you're missing in comparison to the DS. Cause the, I mean, that is the definitive deluxe pick your terminology. That is the best version of that game bar none. It is a, it is amazing that you can make what is admittedly already an amazing game that you can make it that much better. And they did, uh, easily the top game. It's, it's the, f- the first one, you, you know, that, that you want to play now, granted, if you don't, if you didn't like, you know, 3d Mario, well, guess what? Like, like we started at the top, we have new super Mario brothers for you to, to have a hell of a time with. But if you did like, you know, 3d Mario, this is, this is the premier experience, uh, in my opinion, or where it all started. And it just, it only got improved upon. Uh, I can't believe this game doesn't get talked about more the DS version of Mario 64, because it's that awesome. So that's the top of the list. Now, honorable mentions. Of course, I already mentioned some of them, like Mario Kart DS was fantastic. Uh, the Advance Wars games on DS, both of them, I think, were really, really solid. They had great storylines. I did not get into uh, The World Ends With You from Square. That got a, a great re-release in fact, there's going to be an anime coming up, which I'm excited for. That got a great re-release on the Switch. Um, so I didn't include it here. But at the time, that was just about the best RPG on uh, on the DS when it, when it came out. I mean, that, that's an amazing story. And if you've played it, you know what I'm talking about. Um, there are there were some ports, porting of uh, like collections, like, in, like uh, some Atari collections that were very, uh, very nice on the DS. Um, there was an Intellivision collection Intellivision lives that was very well done, uh, and matched up pretty well with the PlayStation two Intellivision collection that ended up getting released. There is a, in fact, the second game, they made two of these. There's one, the second one never got released in North America, but you can get the European version and so on. Um, retro game challenge is if you've played ultimate, uh, was it ultimate Ness remix retro game challenge is like that. It came out before NES Remix, but it's with a bunch of like Galaga. It's with a bunch of different franchises. It's really, really cool. If you're like an eighties arcade, uh, a video, you know, game player retro game challenge for the DS, which has never been re-released elsewhere. And again, you have to kind of buy a, you know, you have to get an import version for the second one. Fantastic. Uh, very unique gameplay. I mean, you, you just play it over and over again. A lot of fun. Um, and to get copies of it today, expensive uh, by comparison. So that's that's something to consider. Another really fun game on here is in the Mar- in the classic Mario style is actually Super Princess Peach. Yeah, she finally got a fucking game where she got to kick some ass. I mean, she's kicked ass in other games, including Mario sixty four DS. But this was this is one that I'm amazed has not been ported more. Uh, tremendous game. If you're a Mario fan, instant buy, instant play. I mean, you just, you got to jump on it. Uh, another port, actually, speaking of, of ports, a port that is probably the best version of this game as well and improved upon and better than what has been re-released lately on PC as well as on mobile platforms. That is Chrono Trigger. Chrono Trigger on DS is another case where it is easily the definitive version of that game. Uh, it is beautiful. The controls, everything works great. Everything's really, really solid. Uh, the music sounds fantastic on it. I I love, that is the way that I play Chrono Trigger. And it's good to get in Chrono Trigger every few years. 
I always do it on a DS. It's it's that good. Now, last honorable mention I'm going to leave you with. And then and then we're done. We're going to we'll wrap this one up. There is a trilogy of Castlevania games, much like there was on the Game Boy Advance. There is a trilogy of Castlevania games on the DS. There it's Order of Ecclesia, Dawn of Sorrow, and Portrait of Ruin. Now, these games take place in different eras of the Castlevania Castlevania saga. Um, each one of them is in fact, some people actually consider Dawn of Sorrow to be the best Castlevania game ever made. I don't know if I'd go that far. Um, I really love Harmony of Dissonance and so on, but all three of these, fantastic. If you love Castlevania, again, like we've been saying, instant buys, these are instant buys, uh, the whole series. And these are on the rarer side, so you do end up spending more than, you know, the usual 12 bucks or whatever, usually to get your hands on them. They can be expensive, but they are, especially if you're a Castlevania fan, they're totally worth it. Um, a lot of elements that were in these games, because these were the last Castlevania games that were made before like the, the Lord of shadows, uh, series and so on where that where Castlevania really dramatically changed. And some people did not think, you know, necessarily for the better. Um, but there's, there's elements in these games that would end up getting put into uh bloodstained into the, you know, like curse of the moon and so on. Uh, and to see that history happen and to see all that kind of implemented, um, is really, I think it's a lot of fun. Understand that order of Ecclesia, that game is actually the last one that, uh, that Koji, uh, Igarashi ended up working on before he started doing bloodstained and jumped on that as the producer and everything. Um, so you're going to get those elements. It was, you could, you could say minus bloodstained, which aren't technically Castlevania, you could say they're the last great Castlevania games. So you, you definitely want to check um, those out. Anyway, that's it. There's our honorable mentions. I'll put all of these in the show notes and we have our top eight. Of course, review that quick new super Mario brothers, Yoshi's Island, DS star Fox command, infinite space, Kirby, superstar ultra Metroid prime hunters, Contra four and super Mario 64 DS. Now, like I said, this is not a case for where, you know, Oh, I, I want to go pick up a DS. I, I don't think you'd, just skip it. Go right. <laughs> go, just go right into uh, the 3ds because there's just a lot more options when you do that. Um, so I'm not. I'm not going to make the argument like I would with a PlayStation 2 or some other consoles that well, this is a reason to own these consoles. You want to do it on the hardware, etc. Blah blah blah. There's no reason to own a DS. Uh, own a 3ds. You bet your ass. That's what this really spawned out of was because originally I got asked. Hey, could you do a special about the, you know, top eight, like what are the best 3DS games? So we did that. And I said, well, you know, when you talk about the 3DS, you got to talk about the DS as well, because it's all playable on there. And that's where this came from. So anyway, I will wrap this one up. Got some other gaming grid specials that I actually have in mind that have to do with consoles that you do want to own and have a lot of fun with them. And I'm going to give you full breakdowns on how to take advantage maybe of, uh, well, not, I wouldn't call it homebrew, but, uh, you know, take advantage of, uh, the, the seedier side of, um, getting access to games as it were. So I'll wrap this one up and, uh, more sovereign tech and so much more to come out, uh, through, even throughout July of 2020, I will see all of you woo, on the other side. Game over. <laughs> <laughs>